Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks so much for making your way here, checking out the episode. Uh, you know what to do if you uh, like what you hear. Hit the subscribe button. I put out three new interviews every single week, new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones and know what's happening in the music world. You can find us at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Merritt, and today I'm talking with Japanese Breakfast, back with not just a new album, but a memoir called Crying in H Mart. We'll talk about the memoir and the new record called Jubilee. It's Michelle Zahner, who is a, who's Japanese Breakfast. Uh, we're going to hear about how the memoir recounts her relationship with her mother, who she also loses, uh, how it led to her wanting to make an album about joy. Uh, she'll talk about wanting to be musically ambitious and the bright sounds that kind of touch on the 80s and even before then, too. We'll get into all of that, as well as being inspired by uh, Bjork's music videos. So let's do this. Crying in H Mart, Jubilee, it's Kyle Meredith with Japanese Breakfast. Hi, how are you? I know that congratulations is in order, and I'm sure you're getting that a lot these days, because first off, there is the book, the uh, biography, Crying in H Mart, which is a New York Times bestseller which has got to be amazing. It is amazing. It's the first thing uh, that's like attached to my name forever that I've accomplished. So that <laughs> feels really good. <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing to have there. And and of course, the uh, flip side of that, and I think it is an actual flip side of that, is this new record, uh, Jubilee, that we've been enjoying so much over here as well. Um, really two sides of a coin as far as what's going on. I, I do want to say I had hoped by you know by the time we did this interview that I was going to be completely through the book and I was going to know what happened at the end and life got in the way and I turned to the audiobook instead and I'm now about halfway through that I want to compliment you there your reading of this book 
is so gripping. I think that's the word to use. It's, it's I mean, you're so good. I know that's not an easy job to read the book like that. Yeah, um, thank you. I have been really nervous about my audiobook performance, especially because my aunt and my grandfather were both voice actors. So I feel like I come from this line of voice actors and I should be really good at narration. Um, but yeah, this was like the first uh, audiobook I've read, obviously. And um, it was it was surprisingly a really therapeutic experience. I had a really wonderful director and engineer. And it was the first time I had revisited the book since I had turned it in. Um, and yeah, to have that time away from it and that perspective and then have this opportunity to like read it um, in three days and, and get to sort of re-experience it was a lot more therapeutic than I thought. I thought it was gonna be really grueling, um, but yeah. it was actually a really wonderful experience. Yeah, just just to hear it, and especially you know, hearing, uh, of course, Korean words that I wouldn't have known exactly what sound like to, to hear that. I think just added so many more dimensions, and of course, the way that you talk about food, you know, <laughs> all the way throughout it. I mean, it's. I know I'm not the first one to say that, but um, it, listening so far, all I've wanted to do the entire time is just eat while I'm while I'm taking all of this in. That's Which I think it's a high compliment. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> I, I want to start there too, because, you know, you do have the music side and that's what we've known from you so far. Uh, as I understand, the book goes back to an essay that kind of took off on its own and went viral a few years ago. But when did you become a writer in, in this way? Because this, for a lot of us, this is the first time we've gotten to know you, uh, this side of you. I think in a way I was, a, I would have considered myself a writer before a musician. Um, I think the reason why I got into music in the first place was probably because I had this desire to write and tell narrative in it. And um, it just went along with music very well. But I was, you know, when I was in middle school, I, I knew I wanted to be some type of writer. And I thought that that was um, the only logical way to pursue that was through journalism. And so middle school and high school, I was interested in journalism. And when I went to college, I quickly realized I wasn't actually interested in journalism. I was interested in creative writing. So I was a creative writing major and I, I learned very much how to write um, in college, but I had never really written nonfiction until after my mom passed away and I just felt this real sense of urgency to tell this uh, sort of story. And, and that was the, I, I, I wrote the first essay in, in 2016. It was actually a, a similar essay that was published in, in Glamour magazine. Um, and yeah, it really just like took off from there. It was like a, a long, slow, slow burn of a process of putting this book together. I don't know, it, maybe it, it would feel the same regardless, but to have basically your life story already laid out. I, I say this in most, of course, uh, biographies of musicians would come, you know, when you're in your 60s or 70s, but only the only part anybody ever cares about is those first early days anyway, as the joke goes. And that's already laid out for you. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that memoir can be so much. I mean, it's really important to me that people understand that it's not a book about like how I came to be Japanese breakfast. It's a story about a specific time in my life and, and specifically about my relationship with my mother and, um, you know, and, and what we went through for the six months during her uh, caretaking and, and her, her death and sort of how my grieving process um, came together after that. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's definitely not a biography in the sense of like, you know, this is how I came to be Japanese breakfast because I, I don't feel like I'm by any means there in my career at all. And there was a long time with when I was writing the book where um, I, I really didn't want to write about music at all because I felt like it would 
sort of confused the theme with food. And, and also I, I was so frightened that people would think that, you know, that this was about um, my life as a musician and all, cause it's not, but there are some moments where I talk about my, my life with music because it is a huge part of my life. And it was also a huge part of my mother and I's relationship because it was such a major point of contention for, for such a long time. And so, uh, yeah, there, it, I speak very little about my career as a musician or my relationship to music, but it is, it is a small part of it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, one of the points, uh, parts that you do point out is, is to say that you didn't grow up exactly uh, with with your parents saying, listen to all this music. Like you, you tell the story like your friends, you know, they had the older brother, the cool parents and everything. You didn't really have that. Where do you attribute then to that coming from for you? Where did that, uh, you know, knowledge of music and, and where it starts hitting you? Where did that part come from? I think I was like 15 or 16 when I started listening to the music that I still listen to now that really shaped me as a person. Um, I think part of it comes from growing up in the Pacific Northwest where we have like a really great uh, indie rock scene and also um, the like anti-folk movement was like really big uh, back then. So I was really listening to a lot of um, K records bands like Kimia Dawson and Mount Erie and um, also you know, Pacific Northwest heroes like Built to Spill and Modest Mouse and Elliot Smith. Um, and so I feel like it was luck, luck like through luck and, and the friends that I have that I realized that this was like such an important thing to me. To find those moments though, where the book finds some small moments of crossover with the album Jubilee. Um, and I've heard you talk about how the album is almost a reaction to be happy against the sadder moments that you've had to write about and, and, and on the previous records, not only in the, in the book, but crying in H bar. So you do, you get this bright, very fun record, but there's, I mean, we start off with um, it's paprika, right? I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the kickoff. So there, do you find that you did want to intertwine them at some, to some degree? Not really. I think that I had to write this book in order to get to a place where I had sort of purged everything that I needed to say about grief and loss and that sort of made me want to kind of run to the other side of the spectrum of human experience and explore um, something really surprising and unexpected. I think I needed to sort of write the two albums before and this book about that in order to kind of move on and, and um, sort of start this new chapter for my, myself. In hearing about the way you do that, I mean, not just with your own life, but everything that was happening in, in the world, uh, in the past few years, you know, as you're writing this record, I mean, the need for brightness did, it, I guess what I'm asking is, does this feel like an album of rebellion in a way? Because a lot of the art we're getting right now is of course, reflective of what they were seeing. This seems to be like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm going the other direction. Well, I think that there was like some stuff that I wanted to fuck with. Like, I think part of it was like my, I feel like my narrative is very much like grief girl. And I wanted to show that I was so much more than that. Um, and I could write about something joyful and exuberant uh, and full of feeling. Um, and I also think that there is a sort of like sad girl indie stereotype that I, I also like wanted to fuck with. And um, yeah, I think that like writing an album about joy is just like not something that's super uh, expected or in line with the narrative. Especially not these days, as I was saying, that's I think one of the most refreshing things about it. Yeah, this album was put together before the pandemic, but I do feel like um, it it comes at a good time, at least in the U.S., where it feels like, you know, we're all really aware that joy is 
a really precious rare commodity that like needs to be carved out and fought for and protected. And I think that that's very much in line with what the album is about. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. And so naturally, you know, we are able to recall some eras in this. There is an 80s vibe to some of the songs. I even found that there was a 50s vibe. I, I wish I'd written down the song, but there's this. What is the song? Because there's a guitar. There's a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> there's in like a 50s guitar. Pokemon, maybe. The third track. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I do think that it has like kind of, I guess, like a classic, almost like late 50s, early 60s feel, maybe largely because I was taking a lot of, um, I was taking guitar lessons for the first time. So I wanted to like up my chops a little bit. And I felt like I had sort of plateaued musically. And uh, of course, when you take guitar lessons, your instructor will frequently make you learn just like a bunch of Beatles songs. And um, so yeah, I was like incorporating a lot more uh, interesting sort of chord changes and like, you know, that song has a lot of minor fourths, which is like a big Beatles, uh, minor fourth chords, which is like a big Beatles move. And so I feel like that might have something to do with the sort of like timelessness of, of that type of song, um, or it just sounds like very classic in a way. And I think also from soft sounds, like working with Craig Hendricks, who is our live drummer and also has produced this record in the last record with me that's like his bread and butter like making that type of sound just like and and I think that's something that we did with Till Death and Boyish and I feel like songs like Tactics and Kokomo on this new album also have that kind of feel um because he has just like such a great sense of I don't know like what makes that music really beautiful both like in drums and and harmony and um yeah I think that uh, there are a lot of songs on this record that have that kind of classic feel also and Kokomo, I mean, a, a very small place, just about, I think, two and a half hours up the road from here, maybe three. It's, oh, really? That's yeah. So it's, yeah. We wrote, I, that song is about like a small town boy saying goodbye to um, like his girlfriend, his high school sweetheart, who's like going on a foreign exchange program to Australia. And I, I just thought it was like a really sweet kind of like small town story. And like, wouldn't it be kind of like, wouldn't it be nice Um uh, in a sense where like, you know, that someone that this isn't forever and that like, you can just be generous with someone and let them go off and show off to the world, like all the parts that you fell so hard for. And my producer was like, you know, oh, it's like Evan from it's uh, from our label in Bloomington, Indiana. And so I, I was like, it is like Evan. And so I texted him and I was like, you know, I, I think I basically wrote a fan fiction about your teenage years in, in small town uh, in Indiana in Bloomington. And he's like, I didn't grow up in Bloomington. I grew up in uh, Kokomo. And I was like, that's even better. That's like the title of the song. <laughs> I love that. And of course, Bloomington's even closer. That's, uh, that's so great. That's, you know, it's. Uh, kind of going back a little bit before we were talking about there too, because you, you were talking about the guitars and, and, and whatnot, but there's so much, 
there's so many interesting moments of placement with instruments, instruments that arrive for a moment. And it's almost like they never are heard from again. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a violin here, you've got a saxophone there. And of course the saxophone does put me back in that late fifties era. Once again, even when it's coming through in a very eighties sounding song, what did you want to accomplish? Because again, it's almost like, it's almost like these are so specifically chosen for that one moment, which is probably pretty obvious, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that we just wanted to be really ambitious. And like part of that came from, you know, it being a third record and wanting to like go really theatrical and ambitious with the third album and just like have these huge arrangements. And also part of it came from like getting to meet all these like exceptional musicians um, on tour for the last three years that have joined us for a few performances. Adam Schatz is the saxophone player who has this amazing band called Landlady and we've become really good friends. And I knew that I, whenever we wanted to incorporate that type of instrument that he would do, uh, whenever we wanted to incorporate saxophone that he would do like such an exceptional job. And then Molly Germer plays violin and also comes with this like great, uh, you know, network of string players. And so I think I just had the confidence for the first time to start expanding my palette a little bit and just like using like all of the instruments, however I wanted to. And, and that kind of thing is so much easier now that you have, I guess, like software to, to get to hear what that would be like. And so I, I just think that we wanted to push ourselves and, and everything was available to us. And, and uh, we, we used it when it felt right, I guess. There's a part in the middle of the record where it suddenly turns into Blade Runner, the score for Blade <laughs> Runner, which is just amazing. Yeah, I do I love it. <laughs> that's funny. That's great. I love that. Yeah. And, and, and even before that, I mean, Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Even before that, you know, I know you work with Jack Tatum and I think, you know, I mean, this guy lives and breathes the 80s. It's hard not to do an interview with him without bringing that up. And I always feel bad every time I do, because I'm like, that's what everybody talks to you about. But the dude knows that era so well to go in there. I don't know. I do love the sounds that you're pulling off on this record. It's really hitting, you know, kind of my prime spot. I I, want to bring up that track, too, with Be Sweet a little bit, because there is a line. And I think there's a couple lines. um, Yeah, I want to believe in something. And I guess that goes back to what we're feeling. To, that's what I'm feeling today. I, I'm projecting a little bit here because that is one of those moments like, you know, do we take that moment out of whatever personal context and, and, and apply that to the bigger picture of what's going on? Because we're to that point after four years of whateverness, like I need to believe in something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you hope to accomplish in music in general. You can find something that feels really personal to you and it, it, but it feels so broad that it can encapsulate many different types of experiences. And it is whatever you need it to be in that moment, you know? And I think for a lot of people, that's definitely something that we all want to feel, especially right now. We want to believe that, you know, we're in this place where things are turning a corner. I want to believe that things are going to get better. I want to believe that uh, we'll have this like year of release. And um, yeah, I think that can mean so many things for so many people. I think that's like what you set out to do as, as a musician. Is there any relation to uh, the Be Sweet to Me line that's followed lately by Be, uh, later by Be Good to Me in the uh, slide tackle? Yeah. Uh, I think that's just some, a thought that like occupies my mind uh, often is just like, please just be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like for Be Sweet, I kind of like take on a little bit of a character and it's sort of more pointed at like uh, a person, whereas Slide Tackle feels really pointed at at my brain. (laughs) Like, I think that that song is very much about struggling with your brain to to feel good. (laughs) Well, then the um, later on, then uh, uh, Posing in Bondage. Nothing's lonelier than 1 a.m. in a grocery store. See, we listen to sad songs 
when we're sad. We lean into that. What is it about a grocery store in the middle of the night? Because I completely relate to what you're talking about right there, what you've said about that song. Uh, and I think you're going to the music video a little bit right, with what we're getting at there, right? Yes, yeah. The music video is set in a, a grocery store at 1 a.m. What is it about that? Why? Why do we know it's so lonely in there? Why do I like hanging out at a gas station, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the night when no one's around and, and just those odd fluorescent lights? Like what's going on there? Um, I think for me, the song Posing in Bondage is about like emotional neediness or unrequited desire. And um, the song itself is so full of longing. It's like very taut and uh, almost like bondage. <laughs> and I love this image of like this woman waiting in bondage for a person that never comes home. And so when I conceptualize this music video, it has this sort of like industrial tense feeling to it in this way that I was um, really inspired by the Bjork song, All Is Full of Love, that also has that kind of feeling. It's like the slow burn, like kind of industrial feel. And I that's maybe one of my favorite music videos of all time is Chris Cunningham's um, music video for All Is Full of Love. And it has this sort of like, it's the one with the robots falling in love and it's very white and sterile looking. And so I wanted to create that type of feeling and I felt like, um, uh, yeah, that kind of like cold, like blue tint whiteness of, of a fluorescent grocery store felt like a good setting for two people um, who are very lonely, kind of struggling to come together. Yeah. Well, see, it goes back again to the, the pictures that you paint on this record. I mean, they're vivid. The way that you talk through, the, again, crying in H Mart, it's, it's so picturesque, um, even towards the end. And I'll, I'll wrap up with this too, because tactics, it, it's like it offers this wistful goodbye you know, and I, maybe it's purposefully put at the end of the record because of that, because that's what I feel like, like this live would be the song you play right before the encore, right before you walk off the stage, you know. That song has been spectacular live, I will say. We've done some live sessions with the song Tactics, and there is some magic in that song that just translates so well live. And I can't wait for people to see that song on tour because it, there's some weird special magic that came with that song live in particular. I can't wait to see that one live myself. Uh, Michelle, all the compliments, because again, Jubilee, I'm so in love with this record and crying in H Mart. I'm so in love with how far I've made it so far. I will be wrapping it up this week. I promise that. <laughs> Congratulations on everything. This is huge. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We'll see you around soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy Thank the you. rest of your day. My thanks to Michelle. The brand new Japanese breakfast album is called Jubilee and the memoir Crying in H Mart. Thanks to you again for checking out the episode, the series. Uh, before you get out, hit that subscribe button. Three new interviews every single week. New ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, YouTube again, where you can find the video version of this anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. Make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. I'm like also having some technical difficulties. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.